You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Yachts and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show today. It's a Monday. It's a bye week. We've hit. Guys, this is crazy. I was thinking about this this morning. We have officially hit the halfway point of college football. My <laughs> seven-year-old son last night was like, Dad, why does college football go by so fast? And he's right. We're at the halfway point. That that's just blows my mind. I'm with you. No, it's been fun. It's actually been fun. Five weeks here. The first week was less fun, but um, yeah, very much got, so. Got back from just Tucson. a little. Got back from Tucson yesterday, feeling like, hey, it's bye week. Things are going well. There's a lot of positive momentum. There's fun storylines to talk about. I was sitting there thinking, like, it's kind of it's pretty fun when there's a lot of positivity, not only on Duck Territory on our message right. board, but just in general for Morgan fans. And I think we've certainly reached that point, and we've got some questions that reflect that um, today on this mailbag show. Um, shall we shall we start with the questions, Matt, or do you have anything else? No, I'll just go right in. All right, we're going to jump right in. From This is a first-time question asker, and in fact, I think four out of five maybe are first-time question askers, so appreciate that. It's always good to have new insights and new people listening in and, and, and kind of leading the show. So the first one from the only Pat. Through six games, how do you feel about our coaching staff, not just landing, but all of them? And is it Bonix for Heisman time? Hashtag outs and audibles. Uh, so we've got a couple different topics there. But the first part, uh, I think the staff has been pretty dang good. Um, I, 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 I don't know how many listened to our recap pod on Saturday night from Tucson. Um, but I continue to be really impressed with what Kenny Dillingham has done as a play caller um, and as just an offensive game planner. Some of the formational and personnel group stuff is just it's just unique you don't see it and and it forces the defense to react um in ways that clearly they struggled to and i know arizona's not exactly a juggernaut defensively so you can take some of that for with a grain of salt and probably neither is stanford and i don't think they really faced a lot of fantastic defenses during this run if we're being honest but it's keep it's kept defenses off balance um in, in ways that are really encouraging um so I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of what he's done, and I could probably go into more detail, but we'll keep this semi-quick semi because we do have five questions to get to. You know, and then defensively, I think it's probably the side of the ball where you're, you're maybe least thrilled, but I think the last two games have been really good. You know, you, you look at the, the, where the score is at before the reserves get in, and it was, I think, 17 points against Stanford um, going into, you know, kind of mop-up duty time, and it was 13 points against Arizona kind of going into mop-up duty time. And those offenses, I won't say are, are world beaters, but there's some really good skill talent there. And I think the secondary in particular has played pretty well the last two weeks. And I give credit to this, I think the defensive coaching staff for that. And I think just like the big overarching part for me that's encouraging is, is what we've kind of talked about a few times is 
seems like whenever there's a low point or a pitfall or a thing that doesn't go great one game, it seems like it gets corrected pretty quickly. Like um, you just kind of think about the way tackling was in Atlanta and how poor that was. And, and it's yeah. been better. It's been ups and downs. And there's been a couple times where it's come back and there's been some issues in space. But I think overall that's been great. You think about red zone offense and how that was really problematic in Pullman and that really kind of put them in that hole that they were in. Well, it's been pretty damn good the last couple of games. And you think the penalties were, were really a problem against Stanford. I think kind of subtly they corrected a lot of those issues. They still had, I think, six in the game, but none run the offensive line, whereas they, I think they had four or five the previous week. So and I think that's the part that I get really encouraged from the staff is just a, you, you, they, they seem to assess a problem, they work on it, and there's pretty immediate returns in terms of um, – of kind of correcting it in game. So I, I'm, I'm very encouraged by the staff. Um, I don't think there's been like a real, I saw a question about this, about like uh, kind of landing as an in-game manager. I don't, I can't think of a mistake, but I can't also think of like a real tough situation he's been put in where he's had to, you guys can correct me if there has been one, or he's had to kind of really think outside the box or, or make a, a, a real snap decision in terms of like, okay, timeout management or, or uh, you know, you know, being creative on a third or fourth down. I mean, I, I think sometimes they've done it in the first half out of aggression on fourth down calls. But I can't think of a lot where he's been faced with like tough spots. Was there a, was there a moment in the in the BYU game right before half? That was good. Where, that was really, that was really good game management. Yes. Yeah, yeah but just going forward, fourth and in, in his own territory. But I'm he, trying he to think. Did, he did it against BYU. Didn't they yeah. do it? They they, they yeah. went for another. Yeah, they went for it on yeah. that final drive before the half. Yeah, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a referring to like a um and, like and end of game right. Yeah, and it's in part because yeah. they've just been beating the crap out of teams. But like I just yeah. think back to when we first started seeing problems with Mario. It was that Stanford game in '18 where they just botched the final two minutes or whatever it was, and they could have taken a knee and punted with like five seconds, and so they ran it and they fumbled. And everybody knows what happens next. Yeah, Dan hasn't really been faced with one of those where it's like. Okay, no, but either, either executes it perfect or doesn't. I'm just saying, like, I'm just trying to yeah. think about things that I, I don't have like, answers for in terms of assessing him so far. And, and it's not think, a weakness, clearly. No, 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 not, no, not a weakness. I think one of like the closest thing that I could really think of is the end of Washington State, where they just go down the field and, and execute their two minute offense, which doesn't really like have a lot to do with Dan. But I think that's a, a big thing because he's a defensive-minded coach and he just seemingly like got out of the way of what Kenny was trying to do on offense and called a timeout when necessary or was going to call a timeout when necessary before the 50-yard strike. Um, I don't – but like to your point, Eric, I don't really remember a time where he's like, you know, it's 17 to 14 with 48 seconds left and three timeouts. What is Oregon going to do and how is Dan Lanning going to manage this? So – I think that'll probably happen at one point during the season, but yeah, it hasn't happened yet. They've just been steamrolling teams for the last couple. Of weeks. I was going to say Washington State, just like Jared just laid out, like the 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 coaching decisions, the execution, the play calling, all of it had to be perfect for that comeback to happen, and it was. And yeah. mm-hmm. a lot a lot of people I've a lot of my friends that are Duck fans um, brought this to my attention that. I don't know if you guys would agree, but the consensus from them, some people we've seen on the message board um, and uh, just general fans in general, but a lot of them have, have felt like if the previous staff was here, they didn't have the confidence that that win would have been pulled out. I, I don't know if that, if I would 100% agree with that, 
um, because it would be required that game required Oregon to abandon its run game and abandon its idea of going in of dominating the trenches and throw it a ton. And I don't know if the previous staff had the history to show that they would quickly abandon a game plan and go what was working that quickly, like Oregon did, which partly was because they fell behind. Yeah. No, I, I, I it's, it's really hard to answer that in part because could there be a theory where they don't fall behind because maybe they are, I, I mean, I think we all were a little critical. I've been so complimentary of, of Kenny of, of just of some of the way they attacked Washington state defense down there. Maybe the, maybe the benefit of crystal balls, he would have just done the same thing and ran down their throat and that might've worked better than trying to beat them to the flank. And so maybe they have, right. already. but to your point in terms of the end of game thing, yeah, I have more confidence with Kenny Dillingham as a play caller than any of the previous play callers, basically probably since Mark Kelfrich or, or Chip mm-hmm. Kelly time uh, in terms of orchestrating a comeback with an offense that, um, that, you know, starts games wanting to establish the run, but clearly can pass it. Like I, I was, re- I, I'm extremely confident and like this team can, can, can win in a lot of different ways. Yeah, the only moment that I can think of from a Mario Cristobal team where they're like super down, and, and at least in the last couple of years, like where they're super down, they need to abandon the running first game plan is against Arizona State back in 2019. Like they pretty they sort of abandoned the run first mentality and just let Herbert chuck it. And while it didn't result in a comeback, they still moved the ball down the field through the air, which was kind of a lot. Di- it was not kind of it was a lot different than what everybody was used to, but it showed that hey, maybe if they get down at some point, they can throw the ball with this first-round quarterback. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, just to to go back to the, the overall question, I've been very impressed with the staff, especially offensively. Um, I think there's been a lot of good defensive readjustments to the sta- or to the, to the overall game plans, um, but they might be. I'm not 100% sure what they always are, but I think Tosh Lupoi has – really found something with his defensive line the last couple of games. Linebacker play is getting better against Arizona. They had their best secondary performance. Um, I, I know the the offensive numbers were really great against Oregon's defense for Washington State, but I still feel like they played an overall good game. It's just hard when Cam Ward just did what he did and was magical that entire day. Um, and I think, like Eric was mentioning earlier, if they – convert in the red zone then it looks like a completely different score but um overall i've been really impressed because that was a massive question mark going into the year it's the first time head coach a quote-unquote first time offensive coordinator tosh lupoy who hasn't been a defensive coordinator in a couple of years um all of these guys were coming to a new school uh, i thought those were massive question marks and rightfully so and so far through half the year they've done a great job of of cementing themselves as as they should be here for the long haul. Real quick, I know we don't want to spend so much time on this, but I just I just looked this up, and this is fascinating to me. Um, six games into the season, Oregon already has four games in which they've thrown the ball 40 or more times. 41 attempts against Eastern Washington, which was kind of surprising. Uh, and then 45 attempts against Washington State. Um, a Mario Cristobal head-coached football program from 2018 until the game against Utah in the Pac-12 championship game, he had three total. Two came in the 2018 season. Just an interesting tidbit. Yeah, it's notable. Uh, Matt, did you have any more thoughts on the coaching staff or we kind of covered that part? Because we can also get to the, we can get to the Bo Nix part. Yeah, I think I, I figured you were – we've talked about this enough. I figured you're probably yeah. in agreement that the staff's been 
really impressive. And, and we should note just like it's not on the field, but I think the recruiting has been really solid and we'll see kind of how this plays out down the stretch here. But there's a question later about it. We'll get to some kind of thoughts on recruiting, but I think that's been, you know, pretty impressive as well. To the Bonix for Heisman part, I was just looking at the um, Vegas odds for this. He's plus 5,000. There's about 15 guys ahead of him. Um, it's not like he's playing really, really well. I'm not taking anything away from him. He's been awesome. There's also narratively, I think um, it's a, it's a tough pill because the game against Georgia just basically eliminated him from any conversation in part, because I think for a lot of national folks who are not watching many Oregon games, probably since it sort not of like just, they can watch them. Well, some of them they can. I mean, they've had two Pac-12 networks. They've had a couple that have been on national, but you're right. Some of them have not been, and some of them have been late. But, um, but I think it just sort of uh, cemented in their minds the Bo Nix is what he is. Is you know that that game kind of cemented some perspectives, um, rightfully or wrongfully, you know, uh, from that game. So I, I feel I don't think that's a thing that's going to happen. What I will say is is I think he's having statistically potentially. Um, the best dual threat year a quarterback at Oregon's had since Marcus. I don't think that's a for debate. Um, he's, I think, eighth among quarterbacks nationally uh, in running and rushing touchdowns. He has eight already right now, which is, I think, two off of second all time from a quarterback besides Marcus Mariota um, rushing, getting the ball in the end zone. Um, he's been real. I think that the, the part that's really impressive late is how well he's run and how kind of much of an impact yeah. that can be with his legs because. We talk about things that didn't happen under Mario Cristobal really until last year, but I mean, running quarterbacks weren't really a thing until Moorhead got here. There's a couple of years here where you stayed away from it. I understood it because Justin got hurt against Cal running for a touchdown, like a collarbone injury that derailed the, uh, that was the 17 season under Willie. But I, I, so I understand why, why they got away from it, but it, it's, it's refreshing seeing a quarterback be so much of a threat to run and, and, and designed runs on third and 10 that are QB draws and he gets there with ease. I, I'm just super impressed with what he can do, but yeah, I don't think for Heisman's going to happen. I mean, you look at the odds here, just, just a, a quick brief Heisman discussion. CJ Stroud is well ahead of everybody right now. He's minus mm -hmm. 140 According to this, uh, I'm looking at a Vegas insiders article from this morning. Um, his QBR is absolutely incredible. The guy has completed, over 70% of his passes, 24 touchdowns, three interceptions. His quarterback rating is 208. Um, the next best is TCU's Max Duggan at 194. So he's, I think, kind of outclassed the field early, six games in, lock and change. Um, mm -hmm. Caleb Williams is number two. Bryce Young is third. Hendon Hooker, four. DTR is five. So um, among Pac-12 quarterbacks, even Bo Nix is, is third um, behind the, the two LA guys. So I, I don't think it's something to really get talking about, but I will say like if he has a really, really awesome game against UCLA and maybe he continues the you know, finishes this month just on a roll, he might get himself in the conversation where people are talking about him as like a real long shot and more than a plus five thousand guy. But I would be stunned if he ends up being a, a guy who makes it to New York for, as one of the finalists in, in December. Yeah, I think I'll I'll just keep this pretty short. Like um Bo's playing out of his mind. He's having a tremendous year. Kenny Dillingham is using him perfectly. Um, 20 combined touchdowns between throwing and or throwing and rushing. Um, CJ Stroud's just on another planet. Um, he's have, he's doing this against better competition. And yes, he does have 
Sorry, Oregon fans, he does have better wide receivers because he's got you know, three or four potential first-round picks on his team at wide receiver. Um, but he's also just throwing the ball like, like nobody else in the country right now. And I think Bryce Young at Alabama would be his primary competition, but since he's hurt, Stroud's just running away with it. Um, and that's, you know, if, if the idea of having a quarterback on your team that is a dark horse for Heisman, quote-unquote, um, that's great. You know, because that means that that quarterback is performing really well. And that's exactly what Nix is doing. He's just not going to put up the same stats as CJ Stroud or Bryce Young would if he's healthy. Um, and that's fine because Oregon just con continues to win games. And that's all that really matters. My answer is going to be to change the question. Okay. To, to do we think there's a chance he gets invited? Not win. No, but, not really. No, but, get in, no. but get invited. There might be a um, chance he gets invited. I, 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 I think it's going to have to be just the same kind of play for the next six games, seven right. games. Yeah, they're going to have to go undefeated the rest yeah. of the way for this to even happen. But I, I think the the probability that he gets, if you had to say, hey, what one would would, would least surprise you? I would say I, they go. Six and zero win their the Pac-12 championship game, and you tell me that he's the fourth guy selected to go to New York. Like, I'd be a little surprised, but it's a scenario I could see playing out. I I see no scenario playing out where he's anywhere higher than fourth in the voting. Did you have something there, Jared? Did you get your finger up? <clears throat> UCLA and Oregon's kickoff time has officially been announced for twelve thirty p.m. Pacific Standard. Yes. So Thank yes. the Lord, no yes. late game. Let's go. I am. I can't tell you how excited I am. That is. That is the best. Uh, it's just beautiful. Oh, sorry, I forgot to mention it is on on Fox. So that'll be uh, oh Fox or FS1. Okay, I'd imagine they they'd want that on Fox. I would imagine, considering it could be two top ten teams. But we'll have uh, we'll have more UCLA talk. I I, I avoided UCLA questions for the show just because yes. it's like a, a week out and. I want to give some time to kind of talk about what's happened so far to this season and look a little ahead to like big picture stuff as opposed to UCLA centric. So we're going to hit more of that. I know there's several questions like UCLA related in the on Twitter, but we'll reach a lot of those on, on next Monday's show when we when we get kind of going in on UCLA. But moving on to the next one, it sticks Bo Nix um, from at Duck Duck Dubs Down. Totally hypothetical. Those are the kind of questions we love here. Why not? Of course. How would you guys feel if Bo Nix? came back for another year. I feel it could cause a transfer to a quarterback, but having him and Dillingham working for two years would be awesome. Hashtag odds and audibles. Uh, sign me up. If he wants to come back, I'm good with it. I, I'm pretty confident he's better than the players currently on the roster. And if one of them transfers yeah. because of it, that's I, that's just the way college football works. That's turnover in football is, is going to happen. And I think Bo's clearly the best quarterback on the roster. I don't think anyone's debating that. Um, and I think having him with Dillingham could make for a really awesome offense next year. So, yeah, I'm 100% in the boat of if Bo Nix wants to come back next year, let's do it. Sure. Yeah. If he wants to come back, I'm like, Eric, sure. Come come on. Come on home, Bo. That's fine by me. I mean, we're, we're again, we just finished talking about how if he does extremely well for the rest of the season, he's a high dark horse and could potentially get invited. Um, that's a really good quarterback in college football. And if that really good quarterback would like to come back and be another really good quarterback and maybe kind of mentor Dante Moore in his freshman season, that'd be great. Come on down, Bo. We'll, um, 
will help pay for some of the amenities. That's great. But if he wants to go, that's his decision. I, I'm sure he'll make an NFL roster after the season that he's having. So, uh, yeah, no, come on down, Bo. I'm not sure we're paying for the amenities. That might be an NCAA investigation. Do, yeah. do you have some sort of NIL fund you're creating for this, or, or is this? Who, who knows? The, the, the Duck Territory NIL fund. We'll all with To be clear, five dollars together, and to be clear, all within the framework of whatever the NCAA rules are, we would pay for the amenities, <laughs> if, which we would not do actually. But uh, Matt, go ahead. So yeah, obviously, if if he wants to come back. Oregon's going to welcome him with open arms. Yes, come back. Dude, let's do this again. But the probability of that, and here's where it's at, okay? I, I think at the beginning of the year, you could have argued, hey, have a good year, kind of re- reclimate your, your, your image a little bit, the, the reputation you have, and then build off that for a fifth season, and maybe you're – your pro potential skyrockets. Maybe you go from a, a late round pick or an undrafted free agent to having a, a legitimate spot on a roster. The way he's played this season, I don't know if you want to risk coming back and having even like a 15% dip in production, which would still be pretty good. But because you're playing at such a high level, your stock may be may never get this high ever again. And you've got to maximize that. So not to flip the question again, but it's almost like, should he come back? I, I don't think now, the way he's playing right now, I don't think he, he should entertain this idea. I don't think he should come back. If he continues to hit over 70% of his passes, he continues to – stay away from the interceptions, continues to not get sacked, puts up real good numbers from the running game, and his passing numbers are off the charts. Why should you come back? Like, he's, he's playing his way out of, I think, needing to you know show more for the NFL because your stock's never going to be higher. Maximize it. Yeah, you know, if, 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 if the funny thing here is um, here's what won't happen. If Bo finishes this year by getting invited to New York, he's not coming back next year. Right. So like, that's oh, yes. like, that's the, that's the two I'm, I'm saying, because like you, you get fans who probably want both to take place. They're like, Hey, if he can have an awesome season and like be a Heisman contender, that would be great. But then it'd be also be great if he comes back next year. I'm not saying everyone thinks this way, by the way, because um, clearly that's not the way, but a lot of people think, but that's like one thought process you could go down. That's like the best case scenario that that scenario is just won't play out. But the only way I really foresee him actually coming back is if uh, if it doesn't go as well down the stretch, maybe. Um, but even there, it's like I feel like he's proven enough this this part through his season, and the schedule does get tougher, right? So there's going to be opportunities for him to to go against some better defensive teams coming up here um, down the stretch. So I think that will be kind of some proving ground moments. But yeah, Matt, Matt, the the question flipper today, flipping the question. <laughs> I don't think he probably should come back. And it, it probably doesn't make a ton of sense for him to come back unless it's not play related and it's some sort of big NIL deal slash, you know, the, the wife just moved out here with him and she loves Eugene and wants to, you know, be here longer. And I mean, I, who knows? I mean, they're coming from a completely different part of the country and I don't know how many people I know out here to actually, I mean, he said all the right things about being out here, how much he loves it, but who knows what that's, if there's actually enough, like we actually love it enough to stick it out for another year and 
in college. Um, so yeah, I just don't, I, I, I don't, I, I think it would, I would obviously everybody would love to have him back, but the answer of should he come back to me right now feels like probably not. No, probably not. That's all I got. Yeah. All right. Third one from at Nash underscore Duckaneer. Who else from the freshman class do you expect to burn their red shirts this year? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, we were talking I'm about really, this post game. Yeah, I'm really curious on some of this because there's a, okay. For, for, I'll, I'll answer the question, then I'll I'll, I'll offer some thoughts um, in, in terms of of why. Um, so currently, we've got three guys who burned their, their their years: Josh Connerly Jr., Jaleel Florence, and Jordan James. Those three players are playing a lot of snaps. They're playing actual regular roles. Connerly's in on a ton of special teams. He's obviously in on that jumbo package which is which is named after him 14j mm -hmm. the j stands for josh um florence plays a ton even if dante manning's off the field and jordan james is your short yardage red zone guy those guys are already over the limit and are going to play i would imagine every game from here barring good health because they are key parts of what they're doing predicting the rest of it's tough and i say that because i've noticed a trend here now where Players that are true freshmen have got to four games, and then they're not even on the travel roster. Now, it could be totally coincidental. Um, James Crepia, Matt, and I, we were chatting about this walking out um, of Arizona Stadium on Saturday. Of Just like, it's weird that Devin Jackson and Kamari Terrell had played all four games, or had played four games coming into this, and neither of them were on the travel roster. Is that just coincidence? Does that mean anything? Or are they just basically saying, hey, we don't, we're not going to play you. You've already played your four games. We'll keep you at the limit. And if and if push comes to shove later on in the season, you know we'll we'll readdress this if there's injuries or, and and whatnot. I think they might be managing some of this redshirt stuff really carefully. I I can't report that. I haven't. No one's told me that. It's just kind of an observation here of of Devin Jackson played the first four games of the season all on special teams, a little bit um, in Eastern Washington in the blowout um, on defense, and then not at all since. And then Kamari Terrell was at four games coming into this Washington State game and had played quite a bit, actually, in the second half against Stanford and then mm -hmm. didn't even make the trip. So I think that's kind of notable. And I'm going to be curious to kind of follow along here and see what happens the rest of the year. So those two guys are at four games, Jackson and Terrell. And then you've got Dave Iuli and, and Ben Roberts at three games. They both made the trip, both played in the second half on Saturday. Those guys are in the camp to me of they might burn it just like but just like Jackson and Terrell we might get to four games and then they don't play again neither guys play position where you have depth concerns that require them to play as the other part um, and then I'll just run down the rest of the list and then I'll kind of toss to you guys for some from some thoughts but um, Kyler Casper uh, has played in two games along with Harrison Taggart and Marion Winston um, and Kaviko Kaviko Rogers. One game's played Sir Mel's Jill Tucker and Michael Wooten, and then yet to play Justice Lowe, Anthony Jones, and Trey John Williams. I think we can confidently say the guys in the yet to play category are probably not going to burn redshirt years. I would assume those guys probably don't play enough this year. Mm -hmm. The others are probably all up for up, like it's on the table maybe, but I, at this point, I'm just really curious on how they're managing it because I had thought both Jackson and especially Terrell, because he was, those guys are both really like big on special teams that they played a lot and had some decent moments. And Kamari had actually had a couple decent moments on defense against Stanford. 
I just kind of thought they'd make the travel roster, and yet they weren't there. So it could be they could have had something else. They could have had injuries, but um, kind of notable. Just a, just an observation I've got from right now. So that's that's my piece. That's my personal monologue on red shirts, which is probably more interesting to me than than those listening. But I think it's kind of interesting. I think it's interesting. So wait, let me ask you. So Devin Jackson and Kamari Terrell are both at four. Yeah, they're both like at the limit. They're at the limit. That is strange because I think those are two spectacular potential special teams guys. I mean, yeah. Kamari Terrell is he, he's a gunner. He gets down there fast. And I think almost, you know, every game that I'm, I'm fortunate enough to go to, I'm just like, hey, Eric, look at, look at Kamari Terrell. He's like the first guy down there. He's forcing whoever it is, the punt returner, to call a fair catch. And Devin Jackson, as we know, is one of the fastest guys on the team. You know, he's uh, usually, you know, third or fourth team linebacker. But again, the linebacker room is really, really deep with talent this season. And same, same with Harrison Taggart. He's fourth or fourth, fourth linebacker room. But um, I, to, to, to talk about who's going to burn it next, I guess it's got to be Devin Jackson or Kamari Terrell because they just need one more appearance in a game to do so. Um, and, you know, barring health, you know, there's a, there is a chance that they go the rest of the season without it, but I don't know. This almost feels like something that, that Dan wouldn't do. You know, he always talks about if you're, or if you're good enough, you're old enough or whatever, however he says it, mm -hmm. um, yeah. these guys seem like they're, they are good enough. And that would indicate that they're old enough, despite the fact that they are true freshmen. Um, Ayuli and Roberts, I'm actually kind of surprised by that, but it looks like those guys are clearly like two of the better um, freshman offense and defensive linemen. Um, Roberts, I don't know. I mean, he, he comes in during during garbage time, um, but he always makes an impact. Every time I watch him, he's like always, you know, trying to get towards the backfield and actually pushing people back. Um, those spots, though, you just don't – I just don't anticipate they're going to play that much during the rest of the season just because of – unless they continue to blow teams out. The, the depth they had to have at both line positions is is really nice, and I don't think either of those guys are going to crack that top eight or nine people. Um, other than that, it's going to be hard to figure out who's who's going to burn a red shirt, and that's all. It's all health dependent in my eyes. Um, depending like, again, if somebody goes down, then everybody kind of moves up in the depth chart, um, and that's the only way I would see a bunch of these guys getting their red shirt burned. I, I think. The answer to this question is look at the group of players and figure out who you feel like has a realistic chance right now to go pro as a third-year player. And realistic meaning like best-case scenario. And obviously Josh Connolly is the most obvious one. But mm -hmm. Florence and James are guys that are playing and that it's totally you know conceivable where – Maybe in 2024, the running back room looks a little bit different and Jordan James is the starting guy because the guys ahead of him have gone pro or transferred or what have you. He has a big year and he's gone. Um, Jaleel Florence could certainly be a two-year starter after next season or after this season with yeah. Gonzo maybe going pro. Um, that's a, a real possibility. So the further down you get this list, you know, Justice Lowe, Anthony Jones, Trajan Williams, I, I don't think there's anything that we've seen from these guys. And it's not to say they can't get there, but there's nothing right now that says, Hey, they, they could be gone in three years because they're off to the NFL. And that should be the deciding factor of, of a red shirt or not. In my opinion is, is this guy, is it better to, to play this guy in seven games or six games 
his freshman season because he can help us in those six games with the understanding that there's a real possibility he could be off to the NFL after the 2024 football season? Or would it be better for us to have a guy in 2026 as a fifth-year senior and have him for 13 games than playing a Sir Mills or a Jalil Tucker for five games in 2022? I just think that's that's the, the thought process you look at these players. And the hard ones are probably the guys in, in two games and in three games. Uh, David Uli, Ben Roberts, Kyle Casper, Quaker Rogers, Harrison Taggart, and Elijah Winston. Um, those are just five or six guys that you truly don't know. And so I would I would say probably Dave and, and uh, Uli and, and Roberts probably play. Everybody above them probably plays above five games, and everyone below that group, which would be 10 players, probably doesn't play more than four. I think there's going to be the opportunity to play these guys. They've still got Cal on the table. Colorado is certainly on the table. Um, and then we could see what happens with an Oregon State or a Washington. I mean, Washington lost to ASU last week. They've, they've gone two games in a row away from home and have not looked good. Maybe we're a little high. I mean, I, I still think they can turn it around. I still think they can get to a bowl game. But if, if Oregon plays their brand of football, I think there's still a couple – there's three games on the schedule that they'll have blowout opportunities. Yeah, I don't know if it's – that's where I'm confused. Is like this was a blowout opportunity with ja- and Jackson and Trail didn't even make the travel roster. That's why I'm confused about it's like it, – Maybe I they're hurt. We don't know that though. Right. I know. It's right. possible that they're hurt. They, they, they were fine in practices. But that's, that's where I'm kind of – trying to figure out what the management for this is of like, are, are you only playing them when you want to, because you intend to keep that year? I just think it's really interesting. So we'll keep monitoring it. And who knows, maybe against UCLA, those guys play early and often and they burn the redshirt years. And this Arizona thing was something that we don't have an explanation for. It's just, I was a little confounded by it. And that's part of the reason I picked the question from Nash was because I, I, I thought it was one of the more kind of subtly interesting storylines kind of cooking right now for, for the ducks going into the bye week. So. All right, that's going to take us for the first half of the show. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll answer up the uh, second half. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, 
it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Austin Autos podcast. Uh, halfway through these questions, and uh, looks like it's going to be a longer edition, which is okay. It's a bye week. We got, we've got time. Yeah, what, are, what else are we going to do today? I mean, come on. We, we don't got much else going on. I mean, there's no football this week. We got, as as Dan said, we got time for our yoga session later, obviously. We're, yeah. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna hit the mat. Um, all right. Fourth one, at Go Quack Go, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being Stony Brook and 10 being Michigan State 2014, what do you think Autzen will be like on October 22nd against UCLA? Hashtag Autzen Audible. I don't think I read that question with enough uh, emphasis because he did have an expert. Uh, an exclamation point in there. So, what do I? What do you think the game will be like on October twenty second against UCLA? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that's, that's how it should have been done. That's my fault. Bad, bad first read. Better the second time around. Um, <laughs> no, I. You know, I. Uh, I hope this is a ten. Like this is a game that like there's so much going for it. Like this might be recency bias, but this is one of the games I'm most excited for in in a while, just because of. A, it's a good opponent coming to Otson, a team that's undefeated, a team that, like, I've been really impressed with UCLA. Like, frankly, as impressed as anyone in the conference right now. Um, you know, I know they haven't really gone away from home, so kind of consider that part. Um, and the only game away from home, I think, was against – was that Colorado? It's like their only road game so far. Yeah. Which they've is, played they've – they haven't played against anybody – of a pulse away from home. Yeah, so that part is like maybe maybe we'll be we won't we'll be let down and this won't be as fun of a game. I mean that would be an outcome I'm sure Oregon fans would gladly accept. But I expect UCLA to be really good. I um, expect it to be kind of fun to see Chip Kelly back at Autzen with a team that can really compete with Oregon, and that hasn't been the case. He's lost. He hasn't beaten Oregon, by the way, since since taking over at UCLA. Um, I don't have the Winsipedia in front of me, but I don't think UCLA's beaten Oregon in a while. It might be one of I'll Oregon's. Yeah, pull it up. That might be one of, if not the longest, win streaks Oregon has against a conference opponent. Um, because I can't really think of it. It might be like back in 20 – probably if they played them in 2016, it's probably then. Um, but I know Chip's not – Chip hasn't beaten Oregon. Um so I think it should be. I think the fans should be fired up. I mean, it, it's students are in town already. They they thought they had a great showing against Stanford, in terms of showing up and being involved there. This game could mean a lot. It's a twelve thirty game too, so it's like it's an opportunity for yeah. We're yeah, let's go. I mean, let's I think go. we're all thrilled with that. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I hope this is a one out of ten. I hope. I, or sorry, not a one. Out of, I hope a one out of ten. Nice. I hope this. Is, I hope this is a ten out of ten. <laughs> I yeah, hope I hope I could take a nap during. Yeah, I hope. I, well, I'd love to take a nap, but I, I mean, I'm not going to pass up on naps in general. But I hope it's a ten out of ten. I really do, and, and I think it has the makings for a ten out of ten. But ultimately, this comes down to uh, what the crowd feels like being. Did you find out, by the way, the last time you see beat Oregon? I did. Yeah, the last time was 2017. I believe that was a, a Braxton Burmeister. That was game. the Braxton Burmeister game. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Where they cool. lost uh, thirty-one to fourteen. Oregon since the year two thousand has lost three times to UCLA. Yeah, it's one of the it's one of their better series opponents, along with Washington. Yes. Yeah, it's some 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 dominant years in there. Um, overall, just to answer the question, um, I think this game should be near that ten level. 
Um, I think there's, you know, all the, the, the previous storylines with Chip Kelly, um, the fact that it's UCLA, you've got a lot of, a lot of kids who go to Oregon who are from the Southern California area. Um, it's just another rooting interest to go for. And then, you know, this is the second, uh, second game of the year and at Autzen against a ranked opponent. I don't remember what the stats were from when we researched for BYU and how many ranked opponents there had been at Autzen, but there aren't a lot of them. Um, I think one of the last I think, it was, I think it was three before BYU. Yeah, I think it was something like that. It was two or three. There, there just aren't a lot of opportunities where a Pac-12 team is ranked coming to Autzen. Um, and this is one of them. And it's 12.30, 12.30 start, just like Eric mentioned, which is probably a perfect time of the day for um, the student section to be riled up. Because if it's a late game, it's kind of too late in the day, but this 12.30, this 12.30 time is, is pretty good. There's still time before the game, but there's plenty of time afterwards. Um, and I think that people are going to travel for UCLA. I think that there's plenty of alumni in this area as well. Um, I just think it's going to be at, you know, probably the biggest game of the year in Onsen. I mean, maybe the Utah game too, but on paper right now with UCLA ahead of Oregon and the AP poll, um, this has got to be the biggest game so far. And I, I, yeah, I think if all things, you know, over the bye week are you know, hyped up enough, this will be a 10 out of 10. I've been thinking about this. Um, Michigan State was crazy. It was certainly awesome in 2014. Um, that's the last time two top 10 teams played in Autzen. Um, both Oregon and UCLA are not top 10 right now. But seeing the schedule that plays out this week, mm-hmm. um, there's yeah. a real possibility that you know both teams move up one or two spots and get into that 10 range. Um, 2018... Stanford was the seventh best team in the country that came into that one. Game day was here. Oregon lost in overtime. Don't believe Oregon was ranked um, for that one. Or they were ranked for that one. Um, they were, yeah. Yeah. Washington, a couple weeks later, came in seventh again in the country. And Oregon, I think, was back into the rankings. They won that they one like in overtime. 18 or something, 21. Yeah. Um, But – When's the last time a conference game had two top 10 teams play at Autzen? The answer is 2010 against Stanford in early October. That was, I think, like the first time where it was like, oh, shoot, this Oregon team is really good. And we're talking they might be like BCS championship good because – they came Sanford like busted out of that game real big early. And then early second quarter, Oregon just blitzed them and went on to win 52 31. Um, that, that had a, a lot of ex- that was a great game, by the way. Yeah, that's that's a classic. And, and that had a huge environment. Um, from a, from a fan atmosphere standpoint, I go back to USC the year before in 2009, uh, Fright Night. Mm-hmm. On Halloween, ten Oregon was tenth, USC was fourth. Oregon won that one, forty-seven twenty. That's another game that people say was one of the best games ever at Austin Stadium. So, I think it's it's been over a decade since two top ten teams have played at Austin within conference play. Um, I I think 
those are the games that you get the memorable moments, the awesome atmospheres, even if they end in blowouts, like the Stanford one was in 2010, or I guess the USC one too. Um, so I, I would think this game has the potential makings. Like Jared said, it's a 12:30 kick. It, students will have no reason to show up. The place will be juiced figuratively. Uh, and and probably literally. I, yes. Definitely literally. And I, I just I just think it's it's got the makings to set itself up as being a top five game day atmosphere, no pun intended, uh, at, at Oregon in the last 10 or 15 years. I'm excited. Genuinely excited for this one. Not that I'm not usually excited, but this this could be a really fun game, and there's a lot going on around it. We'll have, obviously, a ton of coverage previewing it once we get a little closer to, to kick uh, starting next, probably next Monday. On a, on a normal schedule, we'll start breaking down the matchup and getting into it. This week will be a lot of mid-season review stuff and maybe a little bit of this, a little recruiting. Question from at KStokes04 to wrap up the show with Mateo wearing Oregon gloves. Do you know if he is leaning Oregon? What recruits do you see committing soon? And any high-profile recruits leaning Oregon? Hashtag Ots and Audible. Um, he didn't, this person did not include the last name there, which I'm thankful for, so appreciate that. We all know who Mateo is. We don't need to try to... Come on. Ooh, young There we go. There we go. We've got it. Um, Matt, what do you think on Mateo? Is, is, is Oregon in a good spot here? And then I guess other high-profile names. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but Oregon did um, pick up a commitment in the last Bryce week Bolton. here from Bryce Bolton. Um, Mateo, I, I still think Ohio State leads. I think the longer that USC continues to do what they're doing and being undefeated, staying in the top 10 makes things hard. Um, and then Alabama's there. But – Oregon is certainly starting to generate some buzz. Um, I, I, I don't think you can safely say that they're number one. I would still be a little surprised if they got him, but it, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, I don't know if that feels like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here, but it's recruiting it, too. I mean, like it's, it's yeah, you're probably like you're, that's not inaccurate. If you're Oregon, it's where you're I mean, obviously you want to be in the lead, like that's. The, the, the top spot, but it's the middle of the season. A top 10 player in the country is strongly considering you, and it's not out of the realm of possibilities that you get him. I, I think that's – you're right where you want to be, basically, from an Oregon perspective. He's been on campus multiple times during the summer. He's been here in the fall already for a game. I wouldn't be surprised if he shows up again in November um, or maybe late October for another football mm -hmm. game. And there's probably a chance that he comes in December when Oregon has their big final big recruiting weekend. So I, to answer the question, yeah, they're in position here. Um, it's just can you finish the job? And Lanning's staff has shown that they can finish the job, but you're competing against three of the biggest names in college football, and that that's what makes it probably really hard right now to say, yeah, they're going to get him and be very confident in saying that. I mean, I could sit here and say, yeah, I think they're going to get him, but you know, that's just guessing right now because you're going against Ohio State, USC, and Alabama. All three of those schools have far better traditions than Oregon does, but you know, and two of them are legitimate championship caliber teams and USC is getting closer to that. So 
you know, you're you're where you want to be if you're Oregon. You're in the you're in the hunt. You've got a puncher's chance. Are there any Matt any imminent announcements for commitments? I don't. I can't think of any. Like offensive there, line. I mean, I think the Bolton one is, no, is 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 someone set to announce like in the next week or something for Oregon? Oh like, no, that, that Oregon is a chance. That's what I'm asking. But you go ahead. Yeah, Sorry. No. Continue your thoughts. No one's, Sorry. no one's come out and said like, hey, I'm I'm committing October fifteenth um, with Oregon. But I, I think Iapani Lalu, the uh, younger brother of an of an offensive lineman at Oregon right now, I I would be surprised if in the next month he's not committed to Oregon. I think this if they're going to take Bolton right now, they know they've got other offensive linemen locked up, and our the dominoes are probably going to fall here quickly um, for that position group because you're not trying to downgrade Bolton, but he's a lower rated guy than some of the ones they're higher rated, you know, involved in and they need multiple guys. So I, I, I think we're going to see some offensive line guys go off the board one or two more. And then, you know, Spencer Fano is a, a four-star offensive tackle. He was here a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, that would be another name to, to, to watch and see what happens. And then Caleb Lomu, who, was supposed to be here for the Sanford game, and then Oregon pushed it back to a later time. Um, that would be another player that maybe things circle back here, and Oregon goes and gets a commitment. And then on the other side of the ball, Johnny Bowens, defensive lineman committed to Texas A&M. He's been here a couple times. He was just here uh, for the Stanford game. They just offered his high school teammate a four-star receiver. Um, that would be another name that – don't have a date, but it wouldn't be out of their own possibilities if you heard him flip here in the next six weeks. Oregon Plus, we're almost to December, you know, middle of December already. We're two months away. Things are going to get crazy before, here. I was yeah. going to say, I mean, like, it. I, I was just going to point out that currently Oregon's class ranked 13th nationally, top in the Pac-12. I mean, USC and Oregon are, like, almost identical just barely, classes. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. kind of crazy. I think they have the same number of commitments, like the same, almost the same four- and five-star ratio the blue chip rate um but oregon does have 19 verbal commitments here and i i think there is room to add matt would you say between six seven kind of does that feel like a fair you know they they, they finish with 25 26 and that feels about right in part because i think there's going to be some some off-season movement with some transfers probably yeah I, I think this number could grow to like 25 thereabouts maybe a little below it for the december period and then after the season we might see oregon realize hey the, you know these seven guys are going to transfer when the transfer window opens i can't remember the exact dates of of that window period which could free up oregon to go and because they're gonna there's gonna be some of these guys that don't sign in december yeah which would mm -hmm. free up the opportunity to add five more high school guys in february which we typically see that's about right around the number that we typically see year in year out now um a second you know the second signing period probably five to ten is usually the the range and then you know it wouldn't surprise me too if if we see them hit the portal to add five or ten more guys there it's all going to depend on what happens in two transfer windows that the ncaa has deemed um postseason i think that's going to tell us a lot of what the 2023 class looks like from a prep juco perspective and then a transfer 
portal perspective. I mean, what's the number? Like 71 newcomers from walk-ons, transfers, and high school guys on this year's team? Like, it wouldn't be a surprise to me if that, in 2023, that number's 50, 45, depending on what happens. I mean, I was, yeah. perspective. I, I, I was just going to say, I mean, if you do the math on what you were talking about there, you're almost getting to 40. If you got 25 mm-hmm. guys signed in December and you add five more, let's say, in, in the February period, and then you, you add seven to ten transfer portal guys, that gets you right about 40. 40 yeah. And then, you're, and then yeah. you're looking at 10, 10, 12 walk-ons, which is traditionally the number you hit that are, that are new guys. So, yeah, 50 newcomers. I bet you – that's not a question we've asked Dan. Maybe that's something we talked to him about around the port. And he probably won't give us a definitive answer. Like, we shoot for 48 newcomers every year. <laughs> that seems very unlikely. Exactly. From Dan. But, like, yeah. I, I, you know, maybe we, have Mash- maybe we have Marshall Malco. Maybe he will be a little bit more not forthcoming on strategy, but kind of like, if, is there a, a, a kind of a number that you. What's a normal turnover? Yeah. What's, what's that look like now? Because it's, it's very different, not to belabor this because we're kind of wrapping up, but it's very different than when I first started covering Oregon football and recruiting, where it was like you took. 20, 25 prep recruits, and then you probably added eight to 10 transfers. And there's like 30 new guys every year. And if you add it, if you have, mm-hmm. if you happen to have 50 somehow, you'd be like, what the hell happened oh, last crap. year? Like, what happened? Something's yeah. going on here because it was a negative. It was definitely a negative. And, and it was in part because players just didn't transfer with that frequency. It was, I remember it was unheard of basically to have more than like two or three guys and, you know, that are new transfers. You're like, wow, we've got all these new guys, guys coming over from all over the country. This is crazy. And now it's like you're, you're kind of behind the times if you don't hit close to double figures. So um gonna be really interesting to see how Oregon finishes up this class. I think I think it's in a really good position to not be probably a top ten class, but I think it's gonna land in that 11, 15, 12, 15 kind of range. And you're gonna be really, really happy because there's some really top tier guys that are already committed. If they somehow get Mateo, you maybe you raise that and you get close to the top ten. But mm-hmm. two five stars in any class is awesome. And there's a bunch of really highly regarded four stars and I should note Matt and I have been talking a couple of times about Tatum Tuioti, who Matt's seen over at Sheldon a few times and just how good he looks. I know it's against Oregon competition. It's not, I'm not trying to diminish Eugene caliber of football, but it's not Southern California or Texas or Georgia right. or something, but he might be, you know, just trying to speak to the depth of the class. So there's, there's some guys that are maybe not four stars that I think we still think really highly of that are in this class. Yeah. Uh, most that certainly. Might be, uh, that might be a homework assignment that we do during the bye week is just, Go watch some film of midseason film of of Oregon's commits and maybe just spitballing here, but put some stuff together. I mean, the, the two Yodi one was, I I just I have a family friend that has a kid on the team, and so I went with them to go watch, and we're friends with the AD at Sheldon too, and we're hanging out with that family, and it's just kind of like, oh crap, he's really good. It wasn't like he's intended good, yeah. for work. It wasn't a work intended opportunity to watch them. It was just like, oh my god, he's a lot better than I anticipated. He's uh, he bumped up to a four star now in twenty four seven. So he's the number one player in the state of Oregon. Um, just to talk, just for a fraction of a second, I think Oregon's class has a chance to get into the top ten, but it's going to be like nine or ten. It's not going to be like five or six or seven. Yeah, right. Um, right. Teams are already really solidified. I think. I mean, they're only nine uh nine points nine composite score points off of eight which is clemson at 268 oregon's at 259 um but then lsu at seven is 283 so there's a huge gap between eight and seven um but you know oregon still isn't in contention for a lot of guys and i think a lot of their a lot of their current commits like last seasons are 
capable of playing like right away. Um, and for to Eric's point about how the transfer portal has changed, I mean, it's it's completely different from when I started as an intern, and that was just three or four years ago. Um, three years ago, excuse me. And then and now with the, this transfer portal period, like these month or the month or the three weeks, whatever it is, that's going to be really hectic because that's going to oh. be hundreds, if not maybe even like a thousand kids at a time in those little transfer portal windows. So we're going to have our work cut out for us, but the staff at Oregon and every school across the country who wants to dive into that are going to have their, their work cut out for them because yeah, I think Oregon's done a really good job on who they've recruited as transfers this year. I think mm-hmm. they're all making somewhat of an impact. Um, I think if Caleb Chapman were healthy, I think he'd make an impact. But um, for them to go two for two, it's going to be it's going to be really hard this season just with, with that window. They're not going to have as much time. They're not going to have like as many resources as they'd like. Um, but they're still going to be. I mean, they could if they wanted to. They could add like forty guys if that, that many people leave. I mean, I mean, Eric and I were talking about it with James Kreppi of, of the Oregonian, just like if you're Colorado, you might as well take 70 dudes and just completely overhaul the roster. Or he, James mentioned about uh, Joe Moorhead at Akron, just like take take 70 new guys to see what you can do. And that's what it's going to be strange, but that's what's going to happen in this offseason. I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm prepared for it, frankly. Or, Oregon will take 70 new guys, though. No, no, no. Just to be no. fair. I think they'll be okay. I I think they're okay. I think I got a pretty good roster. One thing that Jared brought up that just kind of clicked was the new trend with the transfer window because you can't leave right now. If you want to leave, the new trend is you come forward, I'm redshirting, I'm not playing any more games. So we were just talking about who doesn't redshirt, who does redshirt. That just adds (laughs) another layer to the onion of this Oregon football team of reading the tea leaves here. Okay, like – is this player redshirting because they want to preserve his year or is he redshirting because he wants to preserve his year so that he can leave at the end and still have it available? Cause he's got the one-time transfer rule, which makes you eligible right away. So that's mm-hmm. what, what players are doing now is Cam Williams uh, safety at UW former starter got surpassed. He's redshirting this season now and he will transfer at the end of the year. Essentially he hasn't come out and said he's going to transfer, but it, that's why. Just another thing to, to project there. No, it's a good point. I don't know how much that impacts some of the true freshmen we we're talking about earlier, but there might be players on the team right now who have yet to use the redshirt year who aren't playing, and that could sort of add up right. to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that happened like four or five players at SMU. It was a lot. All right, it's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for submitting the questions. Thank you for making – it all the way through an almost 60-minute podcast. Uh, we'll be back later this week uh, breaking down some discussions from Dan Lanning. Uh, and we've also got a couple of ideas on the on the table here for some subject changes during the bye week ahead of uh, the UCLA game in two weeks. So until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. CB.
CBS Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You speak. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.